Listeners everywhere, welcome to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan, the weekly fix for your screen addiction and a trusted source for discussion of all things film and television. Please keep in mind that for the purposes of this podcast, Joel and Ryan are not acting as journalists, but rather fellow moving picture enthusiasts. All of their opinions should be taken as such. Also, please be warned that while Joel and Ryan may seem like petulant children, they are, in fact, adults who may occasionally use adult language. While they promise to bleep out all the worst words, it's a good bet you will still understand what they were saying. And now, with no further ado, here's Joel and Ryan. Hello and welcome. Welcome, welcome to the movie show with Joel and Ryan. I am Joel. And I'm Ryan. And we are back. Uh, we have reached level five. We've reached level five. We are almost at uh, boss level um, uh, uh, for this game we call podcasting. Um, but yeah, we are... Um, Welcome. We are back. We're doing our, our fifth installment of the year in review, and uh, we got a bunch of really cool movies uh, to talk about. We're going to spend some time across the pond, as the kids like to say. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Uh, anything don't worry. We anything... We'll come back here for the really stupid stuff that only Americans can do. That is a movie show promise. It's a, it will happen eventually. Yeah um all right uh are we ready to just jump right on in or do we need uh any housekeeping before we well uh... yeah sorry i guess i should have warned you um yeah. a couple of things um this will be probably a little outdated the way we're rolling these um year in review things out we're sort of recording them joel and i whenever we get a chance and then giving them to you every sunday like we like but um probably say uh something about cindy williams and 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 melinda Dillon, right um because we lost them sort of here in the same week um cindy williams you know most known for uh being shirley you know she sort of mm -hmm. she was a really talented kind of amazing actor who who got on a sitcom in a time when you when you got on a big hit, you sort of were remembered as that forever. Mm -hmm. And that's a curse that isn't true for everybody, but it was particularly true for women in the time. And I always thought that was sad. Of course, then you see when she's gone, the, all the memories of how kind of awesome people thought she was in that and everything um you know in very similar material she was really really good in american graffiti and mm -hmm. in uh in a very interesting role a couple of years later she was dynamite in the conversation too which we've talked about here on the show before um those are the things that leap to mind when i think of her and and you know and she's she did have, there's something about Cindy Williams. I'm not sure what it is. That American graffiti role. She really is like all of our, like most uptight girlfriends from high school in that. And it's, and you instantly relate to her. You know what I mean? Right. I, I just think that's, I, I think that was sort of always true of her. And Melinda, on the other hand, 
Um, I, if you've watched the show, I really do feel good that I got out my opinion about her many, many times. <laughs> yeah. Like every time she comes up, I just gush over Melinda because she's such a weird, quirky and vulnerable little person. And I, she's always that way on screen. And I, I am, you know, in, in both her most famous roles in, in Close Encounters and in, um, Christmas story, which, uh, you know, that thing, just the emotional moment, you know, Joel knows that better than anybody. It, it think about what that abduction scene was in close encounters. Uh, and just how, just what she had to do to make us believe that that was happening to that person. Mm -hmm. And, or, or think of that, the great moment that Shauna called out a few episodes back in our holiday episode where, she makes that decision to get in the way of her kid. And I don't want to say getting like harm's way, but just choosing, choosing when to <laughs> yeah, choosing when to tell dad and, and definitely choosing when not to, this doesn't have to, you know what I mean? This is just a mm -hmm. thing. This doesn't have to happen here. It's, it's it's print that decision's printed on her face, but it's more that those little acts of kindness and 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 acts of fear and nervousness, like they all came so naturally to her on screen. I I, I talked a, a bit in the the uh, one of our double feature episodes. I feel like I got too in the weeds just defending the little minutia of the movie, which makes me sad, but you go back and listen to that uh, when we talked about the verdict and the absence of malice, she, she makes that absence of malice movie for me because there's lots of weird tricky things that happen in the script and they only can be accepted or forgiven if you meet her. And like Paul Newman's character says in the thing, didn't, didn't you like her? You know? Yeah. you really do. Yeah. <laughs> you really do. She's, she's, just wonderful in that. And so she's just given us so many great performances, but most of all, the person I have to talk about, cause I have a slight personal connection to her, um, is Annie Wershing, who I've adored since I think I first time I saw her was in Star Trek, the next generation. Mm -hmm. She played a, a, uh, like an alien who ostensibly in like a forbidden planet sort of way was left alone on this, you know, place. And of course it gets more complicated than that. It's like Star Trek, the next generation things always do by the third act. We find out there's a lot more going on, but, um, she just, is, she's just incredible. She just jumps right off the screen. Always has in every single thing. Um, we, Joel knows that when I call somebody an interesting actor, it's the highest compliment I can pay them. She just, wouldn't make any obvious choices even in right even on you know 24 or even on some places where the obvious choice was right there where you you, you, know, you just got to do that and you're good she just wouldn't do it she's just just so interesting and intuitive and you know for that i love her she's also was really really kind and a really good friend to some friends of mine when they moved out to california her and her husband steve put them up for 
months while they looked for a home. She tirelessly helped them fundraise for their adoption of their child. Uh, what did he say to me when we were writing back and forth a little the other day? She could she could burp the entire elf alphabet. <laughs> she was one of those people who really was like even a greater person than she was a performer, and and she was a really really great performer. And people, I think if you kind of look at her, you might recognize her. But she's the kind of person. She's kind of actor that, despite being in tons and tons of stuff, it, she. You know, she's not, she wasn't the star of a big sitcom. She was always kind of a extra player or a recurring guest or, mm -hmm. you know, that sort of thing throughout history. And, and just as an actor, just a blessing to everything she was casting. Kiefer Sutherland called her his favorite scene partner. Every time he had power, producer power in a show, she would show up and get to act with him. So she was in the that weird one where the her, her his little boy like could predict the future and she was in yeah. the show where he became president when he was just secretary of housing or whatever. Uh Annie Worshin's really, really special. Special actor, special person. And special people are what make the world go round, you know. It's mm -hmm. I can be cynical about that because I tend to look at the world's problems systematically and focus on that because because little little momentary you know moral victories or or, or little feel good moments like I don't they don't really penetrate because. I just feel like, yeah, okay, that's nice, but that's just, it's these little anecdotes that take your eye off the ball, you know, there's real right. trouble and we have to fix it, but it's good to remember yeah. that people doing the right thing in little ways in your life are the, are, are the people that, that really do and can make the world a better place. And Annie Wershing did that. And I just, I, I cannot yeah. say enough about her as a person or a performer. She's, uh, she's emblematic of, of what most actors who work regularly actually are. You yeah. know, most actors don't, you know, we, we think of actors, we think of, you know, we think of the stars, we think of, uh, or the leads and stuff like that. She's a grinder. She was a grinder. She was someone who, Picked up an episode here, picked up an episode there. She kept her, you know, kept, kept, just kept going. And when she wasn't, if, if she didn't book a role, she didn't, you let it get her down. She moved on to the next one. And then she also had uh, a, a rich life off camera where he let, you know, where she just lived her life. Acting was very much what she did, not necessarily who she was. And that's actually, I think more, um, more common than uh, than the you know the for the prototypical yeah, than the award ceremony idea of, yeah. a, of of a movie star that we have. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think you're right. And and she you know and and because she was a talented and be a kind person and um, you know she she by all accounts is someone who was great to have on set that she just kept working being kind begets often can beget more work because if you're a good person on set then people are going to be like oh yeah i love when annie uh you know I love when annie's on set it's just really great she's so cool she's great and then somebody's like well we need somebody for this well let's see if annie wishing's available she's awesome that's what happens 
that's that's the biz. And she um, wasn't in her 80s. She was 45. And yep. Just... She was diagnosed um, and kept it with cancer and kept it quiet and kept working. Um, and it's a it's a real shame. And who's to say she might have she might, you know, she was getting nice, big, bigger, um, you know, recurring roles uh, who, you know, if if cancer hadn't taken her, you know, she we may be, you know, talking about, oh, yeah, Annie Wershing getting to anchor a show. She's going to be on blah, blah, blah. So. But yeah, so it, it is. It's very sad. It's very sad. We, you know, so losing three three uh pretty fantastic women this past week um this would be a few weeks ago at the time you're listening to this probably um but uh yeah so it's uh we 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 remember them we honor them and we thank them so let's get into some feel good (laughs) true stories and action movies and of course of course this is the episode that i know a lot of you have bookmarked um because it is the liam neeson episode it's happening uh, yeah all right let's get into it this is our year in review 2022 and a few movies from 2021 and hey even a couple from 2020 <laughs> So, uh, all right, let's kick it off. Uh, we are going to uh, go across the pond, as I said before, with British feel-good true stories. Based on the incredible true story. And uh, up first is Misbehavior. This is from a couple years ago. Um, yeah, but, but this, one, it, this it, one slow rolled out, too. Yep, didn't, yep. You know, and, did, didn't hit the streaming stuff until late in the game. Right. And um, kind of a, a, a spectacular cla- uh, cast, and uh, at least on paper. And um, it is uh, a group of women hatch a plan to disrupt the 1970 Miss World Beauty Competition in London. Stars Kira Knightley, Gugu Mbatha-Ra, um, yeah, Jesse Buckley, and the return to the big screen in something probably pretty okay, uh, Greg Kinnear. <laughs> Um, uh, Greg's great in it. Actually, it really is about the these the these women. But the the but he's great in it. He as the uh, what is he Bob Hope? Yeah, that's. I mean, he's you know Greg Kinnear is not Bob Hope, but but it's still like he embodies that sort of beauty pageant host. Um, in a in a great way. Uh, these are all the same movie, basically. It's really weird. <laughs> you know, usually we have a couple of these per category. T- to be fair, I went back a couple of years. So, you know, it, it, it th- these didn't all come out in the same year, but they really are almost all the same movie. Um, these British feel good, <laughs> I put it, in, <laughs> you know, stories are, are, there's always, uh, there's definitely always a sense of adventure to them and there's always a lot of comedy in them, but there's always, uh, there's always this hidden layer of bitterness somewhere in there. 
that you can only get in a country where they boil all their food. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. it, it it always has that that little that little sting that's in there. You know, yep. they, this mm-hmm. is interesting because it's they follow the pageant from the eyes of these uh, feminist students, um, Kira Knightley's character and um, Jesse Buckley's and others, an ensemble of, of activists who want to, um, who are all students who want to make an impression on this thing because they, they've decided that it's terrible. And it also though, in a twist, and this is sort of what makes the movie worth it. If it, I think it were just from their point of view, it might've been okay. But the reason it's one of the good ones is because it also follows, uh, Gugu Mbatha-Ra's character, who's Miss South Africa, I think I want to say. Grenada. Miss Gren- Grenada. Grenada. Okay. Well, either way, Miss mm-hmm. Totalitarian Regime, who's being sent to this thing for the first time. Um, she uh, and and there was an, another one, too. I think there is a Miss South America, South Africa in it. And that was a big deal that they sent both a black and a white contestant. So still segregation, you know, it was South Africa in 1970, but oh, yeah, Miss, Miss Africa South. Yeah. And then there's Miss South Africa. Yeah. Nice. So anyway, you, the, these pageant contestants, sorry, you, you're in with them from the start and this means something to them. And particularly, uh, particularly Miss Africa South, who, who, has to do everything right and and, and is going home to a, a very, basically a terrible place um at the end of this and it it just it that part of it actually plays the best that's p- the part of the true story that isn't really cloying in a british feel good true story sort of way and it and in a strange way it gives the thing its soul and so when the the um act of of disruption comes you the audience member has immediate mixed feelings about what's going down you know what i mean yeah. and that that's that's what makes for an interesting movie so and it's you know late 60s basically attire and stuff like it's it's very mod looking and very it's got a lot of great production values and it's really really well told story as joel said the cast characters it's even deeper than that it kind of keeps going and going and going yeah and and they're all really excellent and they're all in a you know a kind of movie where that your best is required really to make it work um i i dug misbehavior i i i you kind of look at what the poster is and you kind of know the kind of movie you're feeling and i thought it had hidden depth to it which i think these things are always better served when they do, but the depth it its depths are in that there, there end up being that debate. You know, I don't like beauty. Yeah, pageants. Yeah. I don't think they're good for women. You know, I think that was very, very forward thinking thing in 1970. Um, but, you know, I think they've they're not haven't been done away with, but they're just nothing like what they used to be now. Right. The few that remain. And that's probably for the best, although I don't know. 
I don't know. I, yeah. I don't even know why those are still around because they're <laughs> like. Well, you know, at the time people are listening to this, it'll probably be long, long gone. But there, <laughs> there's the clip that's been going around of this last Miss Universe pageant of the uh, <laughs> of the the ladies sort of shouting their countries into the in, into the microphone and miss france uh goes somewhat demonic on her mm-hmm. on her miss france uh and um yeah so they're they're still around and they still mean a lot to a lot of people uh i think they are still very popular in um in other countries where the uh, popularity has certainly waned here in the states um but yeah Yeah, and and without doubt in england so it's Mm -hmm. so it's like you start to see the beginning of the downfall of that nobody had considered any of that stuff or you know the consequences of civil disobedience in 1972 are i think you'd probably be surprised by that so i found a lot of truth in this quote true story um and i found that it didn't always it didn't really give us a lot of easy answers, which was kind of neat. All right. Well, let's move on uh, to two absolutely beloved British performers in another movie that is based on the incredible true story. This is the story of a, uh, of a 60 year old taxi driver stealing Goya's portrait of the Duke of Wellington from the National Gallery in London in 1961. It is called The Duke. Um, and it starts Jim Broadbent and Helen Mirren. Heard of them? Um, but yeah, uh, so it's, um, yeah. Um, yeah, it, this is a fun one, but this one I found tougher to get into. The, the main character <laughs> at the heart of this. I mean, the it, as a as a semi caper, it's it has it's fun, and Broadbent's character is so obstinate though, and so odd. He's always at war with the um, uh, the national, you know, television service because he's he's trying to find ways to get around paying extra for anything, and they're all deeply complicated and 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 weird and so he's already got a rep as like a rebel who wants to bring down the system even though he's really just a stingy cheap old grumpy guy um broadbent obviously is awesome in it helen mirren's pretty good but she and 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 you know you need to to be in a movie like that with these sorts of people you do need somebody who can kind of hold their own um but she's a bit wasted in the in in her role, um, but it's fun. This missing painting and and uh, where is it? It's like a pretty big deal. I don't the painting back in the era of the story, which again we're somewhere in the seventies, probably early seventies, same era, um, is worth about a million dollars, which translates to it's adjusted for inflation. I don't know what a million bucks was in seventy. It's now it's. Many, 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 many millions. Many millions, yep. And and so it's a big, and it's also you know Wellington. If you don't know, defeated uh, Napoleon at Waterloo and was a national hero. He was, uh, I believe, he was even prime minister for a while. Maybe I'm remembering that wrong. Um, I think so. I think when 
uh, j- just before Queen Victoria took power, he was prime minister of England. So he's, he's, and he's considered a, a really, really, he's considered sort of the ultimate historical stiff upper lip British dude. And so, um, so if there's meaning in that being the painting that's being stolen that other than the, just that it's a priceless national heirloom, uh, and it's cool. He, he he goes to trial for it, uh, and becomes a, a, for a time becomes sort of a folk hero for for doing all this. And uh, it's good performances by everybody and a well made film. But the the movie, unlike uh, I think something like Misbehavior, is able to take on what it's about in a more head on way. This movie's got to sort of bop around between things. What what is this one really about? It doesn't have that. I don't want to say, well, I guess I'll just say it. There's not an issue at, at the heart of it. And because there isn't, it doesn't have an engine that drives it the way mm. that film does. You know, it's still a fun, quirky little, sorry, I have the hiccups collection of moments. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, well, yeah. All right. Uh. I. I have nothing to add. Well, uh, Jim Broadbent, Helen Mirren, yeah, I mean, and it, you like these. I mean, the problem is trying to distinguish between these. Uh, every one here that I watched is good. So, yeah. what is the subject matter? It's deciding whether you want to take part. Is what is the subject matter? And it. It. What is it? Is it Kira Knightley and Jesse Buckley and and uh. Gugu Mbatha-Ra that makes you want to watch a movie or is it Jim Broadbent and Helen Mirren? It'll be different yep. for everybody, but those are the 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 esteemed British actors, young or old, are the draws for these things. And and then it's just the whatever the subject is, if the subject of the true story is interesting to you. So that's mm-hmm. all I can really do. None of them are none of these were great and none of them are bad. They're very safe films to watch, though. You're you're almost guaranteed to not watch like a bad movie that bores you because they right you know what i mean so that it, it's built into the category the quality is built into the category and yet the the you know the it can only be so goodness is sort of built into the category a little bit as well sure 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 uh all right well let's move on to um another uh beloved uh actor uh tony collette she stars in Dream Horse. Based on the incredible true story. Yeah, um, I always forget. And it, actually, based on the incredible true story is legitimately right on the poster for Dream Horse. And it makes me very happy. <laughs> word for Dream word. Horse has many posters. You may not be looking at the yep. one that Joel's looking at. Well, yeah, yeah, right on. Basically, it's the tagline to the movie. This mm-hmm. really happened. Joel, read the synopsis, please. Dream Alliance is an unlikely racehorse bred in uh, bred by small town Welsh bartender Jan Vokes. With no experience, Jan convinces her neighbors to chip in their meager earnings to help raise Dream in the hopes he can compete with the racing elites. So, yeah, it's uh, an incredibly true feel-good British sports movie. I mean, now we're just piling on the feel-good <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Uh, sports race horsing or horse racing, which is isn't. It's there've been some good horse racing movies. Sea Biscuit comes to mind. There've been a handful of others too. Uh, 
Yeah, but a bunch of poor people buy a racehorse and then they raise it to race in this thing. That's pretty much the story. Uh, there's a really weird... Unfortunately, I remember this one for something that has nothing to do with the movie, which is this super weird dance sequence at the end of the movie where the 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 stars in the movie dance with their real life counterparts in the actual bar either in the bar set or the actual bar it's really strange that's a really weird way to go out um it's always weird to see here's a person and here's what even british hollywood in this case <laughs> thinks you want to watch in a movie and the contrast is always really striking and when you put them right next to each other it it just makes these poor real people seem like the ugliest people in the world and that's all i could really think of when i was watching it was because they're i'm sure mm. they're not but they're dancing with all these good looking like actor people <laughs> right and it shows you that even the non-super hot acting people still have the standard of good looks that have to be maintained <laughs> that's all i could think right. of when i was watching i was like wow okay these actually look like like a slightly like lower middle class uh english people to me <laughs> and the and all these other people don't mm -hmm. whatever it it's if you like horses it's a neat horse movie colette's adorable in it you know she's a really really talented uh person who can kind of do all kinds of things she, she's been in she's been really memorable in a lot of stuff but she's been in a she's also kind of floats in this mid-range stuff a lot where she gets asked to carry a film where i, I think the higher level of, of uh like budget budgeted entertainment that she gets the kind of the smaller her roles get in um is, is what happens yeah um but Dream Horse, it's it's cute. It is what it says. You know, it, a, the, a problem with the premise for this one is it's so straightforward that, you know, what happens, you think, right before the horse runs in a race, like its leg's going to break or something? It wouldn't yeah. have made a movie out of it if that were true. So it's, this right. one has a super linear predictability to it that makes you get a little un impatient with it but it is populated sure. yeah. with a lot of fun dialogue a lot of you know a real effort to make the lives of these people feel very very real and lived in which i appreciate mm -hmm. um i'm not super into horse racing so also yeah. so it's uh yeah I'm i mean here, like, I, I, Sitting here on uh, on on IMDb, it, it there's uh, a documentary called Dark Horse. It's this same uh, same you know it's this story. Um, it's from 2015, and it makes me wonder like how uh, you know what was what was um, spruced up story wise um versus i don't, I don't, I don't put true no. around uh in quotes around this one because i really can't tell you right but, yeah it says and i will say that uh um if a hit uh, doc was already out yeah. there like uh you know like the man on a wire came out you know a few years before the mm -hmm. walk you really can't mess about too much with the facts of the case you know because right. you right. because people 
show up to see that reality sort of reenacted. But there's always, you know, liberties taken, I'm sure. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure I, I, I only bring it up, and uh, this is a, a long, a long way around. But uh, Tony Collette looks exactly like the woman who, uh, who hatched this idea. Um, our, uh, our, our old friend Gordon, yeah. Gordon Eleven, uh, his, his review, uh, Dreams Can Come True. I enjoyed this film a lot because it gives people hope, exciting, uh, hope. Hope exciting these uncertain times. It tells us that we can keep dreaming and our dreams can come true. Well, and the other great thing about Dream Horse, and there's another movie coming up on this list that, that where they kind of do the same thing. The economic reality of these folks is a big part of the story, and that that's that's cool. I I like that mm-hmm. about it. Um, all right. Next up uh is one of the more fun titles to say, in my humble opinion. Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. Oh, this uh, is, this is I, the other one I was talking about. Yeah, this is this is lovely. A widowed cleaning lady in 1950s London falls madly in love with a couture Dior dress and decides that she must have one of her own. Based on the incredible true story. Um, Leslie Manville is the titular Mrs. Harris. Yep. Um, great, great we, role for her. I mean, yeah. it's really, really a neat role for her. So she's basically this Poppins-like character who, who she's a you know she's a cleaning lady and stuff, and she helps people with their problems in a very old English lady sort of way. And she's a widow, and she just gets obsessed with this with this dress that one of the people whose house she cleans for has. And makes her way to a fashion show in Paris, a Dior fashion show. And while there, she's basically walking this tightrope of um, getting kicked out of the Dior in Paris forever. <laughs> and uh, and she, But she gets lucky and this nice guy sort of takes her under her wing, um, Lambert. Wilson, I believe, is the actor who plays him. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. An actual French guy. French people playing French people. Boy, that's nice, I have to say. It's the, it's the way of the future. But it is this sort of fussy English lady, blah, 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 you know, with this crazy mm-hmm. force of will to get this thing. She raises the money. The way the money comes to her for her little odyssey to Paris is interesting. She only has two days and she doesn't go back. The agency she works for is going to fire her and she ends up spending weeks there, of course. There's two young lovers, you know, there's one of the models from the shows and uh, one of the, I can't remember what his gig is. He's not a designer. Anyway, the young lovers always help. If you're going to do, yeah, I'm talking to you, uh, the Duke, Um, (laughs) because you don't have anything like that in it. And and even though it, even though you're, you did a nice job, like, I don't know. It would have been grafted onto that story. So I'm sorry, that was mean of me to rip on the Duke that way. But uh, um, because the Duke, who directed the Duke? Can I go back to that or is or is that long yeah, gone? Yeah, no, your... no, uh, Roger, Roger Mitchell. Ro- Roger Mich- Michelle or is his Michelle. name. Michelle. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I thought I saw a T. No, Roger no, Michelle, yeah. He's he's no longer with us, I believe. And it's a, it's a swan song for him. And he's made lots of really great, interesting British films uh, throughout the years, so it 
it it's neat. It it's a neat movie. This this movie is better than that actually. This is re- I mean, uh, Michelle's got a visual style and stuff, but he keeps it tight on the sort of working classes. This is this woman going to Magic Land. She's going from you know, uh, basically um, East London to 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 Paris at the height of fashion and power, and the her sort of wide eyed amazement at that. She makes friends with some homeless French guys in the train station, <laughs> spends the night with them. You know, it's that kind of story. And and this one's sillier and stupider. Her mission is really hard to relate to. Um but it's 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 cool because of all these side characters. And it is it is cool that it has these young people who kinda can't talk to each other but that are sort of desperate to connect to each other. Um, it's cool that the that even though like Lambert Wilson's character and the Dior folks sort of adopt her, um, that that class divide is still very much there when it's at it when it's always at its least convenient, and uh, it's really fun to see. And there's one other actor. It's going to be hard maybe for you, you to pull her out, but. The woman who runs Dior at the time is sort of the villain of the piece, if you will. And there's great humanizing, I don't want to say redemptive, but a really great humanizing moment where even after our heroes, spoiler alert, achieve their victories, they deliberately make a side trip to this person's home and recruit her back into the world that she's leaving behind. Because they decide, basically, they decide in victory, of course, but they still decide to see the value of everybody. And that's a neat lesson in and of itself. The value of this dress, however, that's harder to say whether that's that important. That really is almost a MacGuffin that the story is is hung on. And, of course, then the film keeps going and the fate of the dress, like, continues once everything has been resolved for our characters and I'm kind of like, okay, it's this, you don't need any of this stuff, but, but Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. Neat. If you like that, especially if you like that, you know, the European locales and food and stuff and all that, it, 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 the differences in those worlds is really, really interesting. And, and then back home, some really good supporting performances too, particularly by, uh, Jason Isaacs, who's been showing up in in lots of little roles like this over the past yeah. few years, and is has been consistently dazzling and wonderful in them. So, it the the woman who runs Dior that's not uh, the woman who played Duckface in Four Weddings and a Funeral, isn't it? Is could it? could be Anna Anna Chancellor. Lady yeah, Day, yeah, it uh, is yeah. Anna Chancellor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she she strikes me as the as like, oh yeah. If I were to cast Lady Dant, I should say, um, if I were to cast someone to play sort of a, a snooty villain, she's uh, kind of perfect for that. Yeah, but she's not really a villain, you know, because it's not that kind of movie. But, yeah, but just, she's just an she's an, definitely just a, the one an antagonist. In the, yeah, yeah, in the position of power that you know, goes along with this scheme or whatever, but really it, it isn't, mm-hmm. you know, isn't really on board. And the idea, that it, but the idea that she would take Dior in a, down a path that it wouldn't want to go is, 
like I, I didn't care about any of that. Like the internal politics of high fashion mean nothing to me at all, even in this context. So, so I was waning in and out. But it, mm. it, but what I really liked about this film, who directed this? Because it's it's. Oh, really, I knew really well. you were going to ask me a question as soon as I click. Anthony Fabian. I don't know who that is, but really, really good job mm. on the on just capturing both the the tough working class parts and on a, what surely was a very limited budget. The sort of magic. The, and, yeah, and, this boy, this looks like one of his first. Let's see, Good Hope from 2019. And the louder than we're, a lot of shorts, a lot of uh, a lot of short films. There you go. Um, so this might have been <clears throat> this might have been his, his first kind of uh, his first big feature. Yeah, it, it's directed like he knows what the hell he's doing. That is for sure, mm-hmm. and I do appreciate that. All of these all are right. none of the all of these filmmakers in this arena are pretty much are people who know what they're doing. But this 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 is the film on this list particularly that jumped out as you know it it's it, it, they were fortunate to have the actors they had to carry all these little bits and little arguments but the you know mm-hmm. but the just the way you pointed the camera the way it was lit the way it was edited all those things that you know that really make a movie uh look special definitely happened in in Mrs. Harris goes to Paris no relation um all right, next up, when you think sports movies, when you think athletic heroes, you, of course, think Mark Rylance. Uh, and this is a movie called The Phantom of the Open. Based on the incredible true story. Yeah, it is know. golf. It... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, Maybe. I was just going to re- I was going to read, uh, re- read the, yeah, the yeah. Little synopsis here. Uh, Maurice Flitcroft, a dreamer and unrelenting optimist, manages to gain entry into the 1976 British Open Golf Championship qualification round, despite being a complete novice. Um, I, I would like to point out that it's based on two books. Here's the title of book number one, The Phantom of the Open, Maurice Flitcroft, the world's worst golfer. And uh, the oh no, they just wrote, co-wrote. I thought I initially read it and thought that it was uh, two, two different books. books with almost the exact same title. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so it um, we have uh, Phantom of the Phantom of the Open. This is the third British feel good true story that I've seen now where of absolutely worthless non athlete coaxes himself into some giant sporting event. So apparently during this era in particular, that was something that <laughs> happened a lot. Um, this is late seventies and early eighties when this stuff went down. Uh, obviously the secret weapon of this film is violence. who's just extraordinary in everything. And his, it, his single-mindedness is important, but it's it's done in this such this weird, understated way that that actor does everything. You know, his argument uh, when there everyone's rejoicing, and he definitely becomes a folk hero because of what he pulls off. But they tell you, world's worst golfer, and he's you know like he just <laughs> I'm not the worst golfer. You know, I don't, I don't know what that means. Yeah. Like he even the like he. Unlike the other heroes in these types of stories, he does not listen to his own hype, and 
and doesn't ever really play along with the thing. Like his, 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 he's, he's more pathological in that way. Not really as a person, but in, in his mission. And that does make him a little bit more interesting. His, he has a son who, um, can't remember where he, he works for a big, uh, comp, you know, big private company or whatever. And his dad is very much an embarrassment to him. He also has two other sons who are a award-winning world champion disco dancing duo. And there's this really sad plot where they are traveling all throughout Europe world champions. I mean, he even says that at the end to his brothers, like, well, these guys are idiots. My brothers are stupid. And he's like, they're world champions, man. I mean, they love disco dancing and they they have the highest honor that you can have. But of course, the their their experience and it's a subtle little side plot, but their their experience being a world-renowned disco duo in during the death of disco is just absolutely depressing and sad little thing to see play out like people just stop coming to the to the competitions and nobody wants to hear that music anymore Mm -hmm. i mean you know that happened it happened in the mid 70s and then but then disco came roaring back when when mainstream artists started adopting it into their sound and especially saturday night fever came out in in uh 78 it it revived the thing as it, it had been dead for almost a year and but it c- crashed you know the critics hated it they had that big event where they burned all the disco records out in the middle of the, the baseball stadium or whatever yeah and cincinnati or cleveland or whatever. yeah i can't remember where but it the the point is it 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 was a thing that that died a natural death and then when it was revived, it it was murdered essentially. And just <laughs> completely went away. Yeah, um, that's a neat. I mean, that is really a neat metaphor for the whole thing, which is why I'm spending so much time on what is the minor plot point in the movie. But it, it you know, it, it's like the cluelessness of it. You know, the fact that yeah. the, the, you can even be the best at something and have it absolutely make no difference whatsoever just a year later it's that's sad and it just shows you that your little moment in the limelight is only only whatever it is and and this guy his you know his 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 story and the way he sort of i don't know this one never the other films deal with what it's like to be a lower class english person but this person's in this guy's in real economic peril and what he's doing ultimately, at first he just does it because nobody, everybody's failure to imagine that anyone would even try it get, allows him to get in. And that is usually the right. case. Whether, as soon as he does and embarrasses them a little bit, they immediately make a whole bunch of rules to blackball this guy. Not just from the British Open, but from joining his own local golf club, stuff like that. Like you just, all doors yeah. become shut to him in that part of the world. And he's, he, like I say, he's in real economic peril and legal peril as the thing goes on. And you are kind of like, you were mixed because you sort of love his little working class heroism, but you really want, you don't want to see it go bad. And this was one of the films where 
you, you're just on the precipice always of that happening. It's very cleverly told tale because, because you, you've sensed that re very real danger. You know what I mean? In mm -hmm. misbehavior, you get a little, what's the, what's, I mean, th there's very real legal danger for what they do at the end. They all get arrested and stuff. And I mean, that could end your whole academic and professional life back then, even for something as silly as, you know, as a, as a prank, which is basically what they do. Um, but of course you get the little, this is what happened to this person. And this is what happened to this person and all more or less. Went on, okay. Yeah. So you don't have to feel too bad. Um, in this one, it's it's like even when he gets even his big moment of victory happens in the U.S. at a golf club in a very sparsely populated ballroom where they give him this sort of award and stuff, and it's 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 like you know mm -hmm. it's it's hard to explain. There's a bit of a, a real insanity to it that the film doesn't shy away from that I appreciated because it takes some of the feel goodness out of it. And, and, and in that way, there's, there's stakes there and there's things that you want. And I think more than most fan of the open definitely had Then of course, fan of the open has not just Rylance, but, um, the incredible, uh, what's her name? The Sally place. Hawkins. Yeah. Sally. Good Lord. Yep. Um, yeah. You know, again, Sally's, I don't want to say that like, she's slumming it like Helen was in The Duke, but it's a similar type of role. It's thankless in comparison to the guy. Um, but Helen Mirren and, and, and Sally Hawkins are just top, tops, yep. <laughs> tops of their game. So they're a real gift to both stories. Um, you know, Sally has a... <laughs> Sally has a great moment where she gets in between the, the few, this feuding family and shames people into reflection. That's what I call it. Have you ever seen a movie where someone gets shamed oh, yeah. into reflection? Yep. Get <laughs> called out. Get called out and you are forced to, to you are hoisted <laughs> by your own baton. Sally shames him into reflection with the best of them. So it's, it's a fun movie um, and it's... This yeah, go ahead. Let let me. Uh, th this this is nothing to do. With, this is in no way a reflection on the movie. This is just something someone put on a poster. But this poster for the Phantom of the Open that is on uh, IMDb literally contains. It is just cliche and trope after cliche and trope. Let me just read it. <laughs> the extraordinary true story of an ordinary man who made history by reminding us all to dream big no matter how it turns out. <laughs> Have you ever had a sentence that says so much and also says nothing? <laughs> At the end of uh, Bates Motel, in one of the final episodes, maybe even the final episode, uh, Norman, Norman is found out. Yeah. Everything we know about him from Psycho is found out, basically, in this episode. And the whole, the whole series builds to that, him being in that situation. And it's his brother that comes out to the hotel and confronts him about it. And he's like, you can't, you know, you can't do this, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, she's, she's dead or whatever. And he's, Freddie Highmar, who's, he's kind of lost on a really mediocre show now. But in his day, is as good as anybody. He he's just like he's just freaking out and shaking, and he's like, no, no. If we just believe or whatever is what he basically says, then everything's gonna be okay. And and I can't remember who played his brother. 
but he's like, no, and and he just he just completely like reality being confronted with reality to this character who lives in this bizarre psychotic fantasy yeah. is the harsh. It's like it's worse than getting slapped in the face. Highmore physically reacts to being told being told no. This is what's real, and all this shit that you're making up is gonna bring nothing but and already has brung murder and calamity and you have to mm -hmm. snap out of it there's a much sadder scene in that when um uh what's her face from i keep forgetting her name olivia from um uh, you know the uh she's in the the, the game of thrones show now she was in that really cool spielberg movie based on that fun 80s book what's her name olivia something um um, 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 well, I, I'm not... Anyway, she's okay. great in Bates um, Motel. Yeah. And she, I don't know why I'm talking about this, but I think it's interesting. It, and it does relate back to Phantom of the Open in a key way. She comes to him when he's in jail, basically. And she, she, does, she does the same thing, but in the total opposite way. She appeals to him. She's like, you know, I remember when I met you and you were this sweet person and you helped me a lot when I really, really needed it. And I don't... I don't, and she very coldly says, I don't, I don't know where that person is anymore. It's not here. It's not here. And you can tell he's, he's just completely shaken up of that. So all, I guess all I'm saying is Bates Motel deals with that follow your dream thing and how, how it, how following your dream in the face of reality is, can be horrible. If you're not dealing with your reality, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like <clears throat> then your whatever your fantasy or whatever is 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 it the greatest thing ever? So that so Joel points that out how cliché ridden and how stupid that is, and it really is stupid. It's almost antithetical to not the message of the movie because the movie does honor this guy for daring to dream, but he gets into real trouble because he can't he can't face reality, and it's not until he does that we're able to feel anything, uh, anything resembling support for him as an audience. So, it, so the movie's smart in that way, but it, it, I don't know. <laughs> um, it we is. We talked uh, about the phenomenon Olivia, on the Olivia show. Cook. Olivia, Olivia Cook. Cook, sorry, yeah, sorry, Olivia. She's great. She's been great in everything since she turned up. Even and she's been in lots of garbage, and she's just great in that too. Um, she's really good on Bates Motel. Super, super good. Those that trio of people plus v Vera Farmiga as mother. <laughs> it's that's yep. a that's a show you probably left behind if you did for very specific reasons. But as a, a horror TV, it's it is the best that there's been. Mm -hmm. compared to crap like American Horror Story or whatever it, it just it just shines like it's just amazingly high quality but compared to actual prestige TV of the era it's kind of right in there so something to think about and and hey everyone follow your dreams but you know hang on to that reality just a little bit don't let that get away from you mm -hmm. it, it can be depressing and frustrating but it's it's your your recognition of it is necessary for a health, healthy happy was it, life was it dick clark who who was it that would say keep reaching for the stars and keep your feet on the ground <laughs> yeah <laughs> dick he knew
Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So let uh, Sally Hawkins. Let's move. Let's keep it on a Sally Hawkins uh, uh, trip here, and and let's go to the Lost King: The Search for Richard the Third's Bones. Based on the incredible true story. Um, an amateur historian defies the stodgy academic establishment in her efforts to find King Richard III's remain, remains, which were lost for over 500 years. Um, Stephen Frears, by far the yes, most. Indeed. Yeah, there's a lot of really good directors here, but he's the most accomplished. And of course, he made one of the greatest recently. He's not a guy who started out in the feel-good area of filmmaking, I can mm. tell you that. His early films are don't make you feel good at all. Um, so, but that's good in a way, because he can he can explore sort of the dark side of these types of stories before before doling out the little moral victory at the end. He recently, with Steve Coogan, who's also in Lost King, made Philomena, which with Judy Dench, which was one of the better British feel good stories of that year, if not the best by far of that year. Um about a woman tracking down the history of her her uh son who was taken away from her because she was a single mother and brought to America. And this is a similar story. Sally plays um this character who for that it starts it's really interesting. It starts with them going to see the Shakespeare play Richard the Third, and of course everything awful and terrible, pretty much that we know about Richard the Third, comes from that play. It doesn't. Right. It it comes a little bit from history too, because Richard the Third lost the War of the Roses. He was the final king to uh, fight and then be basically set aside at the end of that and uh and 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 the history as we know belongs to the victors and so he's painted as something of a villain he's a hunchback he murdered the young princes in the tower to so that he wouldn't have any any threats to his throne you know he did all these heinous things shakespeare wrote some great dark poetry um, that is literally yeah, Richard the third, Richard the third, right? Immensely entertaining. It's yeah. immensely entertaining. It's really, play. really fun, uh, history, but the, is the history, what, what is it really? It's become cliche. I mean, now, now is the winter of our discontent and it ends with, uh, Horace, my kingdom for Horace. It's got all these famous lines that we all know from Shakespeare, even if we're not into mm-hmm. Shakespeare in it. Um, but she doesn't she for whatever reason because she wants to champion the underdog and this was a there's a there's a richard this society who really believes him to be a decent guy if you actually look at the laws and reforms he passed he was a really really modern and good king <laughs> by any standards of the day which people have been for years trying to understand that dichotomy between that and the evil villainous pushback yeah. from the play how could they possibly be the same person? Maybe he wasn't really governing the kingdom himself. That wouldn't he wouldn't be the first king that didn't give a shit about policy, but that was just into ruling and being in charge. Right. Um, and uh, to a large degree, these royal families, these kids were bred to be that way anyway. But she she um, 
she adopts that and wants to believe more more than can prove it wants to believe that this person wasn't the caricature that he's been painted at and mm-hmm. in her search for that stumbles across uh, a, a likely site for her body and his the the place of his body and and fights tooth and nail to find it and it that the exhumation of the Richard III's body or what is very likely to be we should say that in this sort of science it's not an absolute thing but what mm-hmm. is truly very likely to be his remains um we learned all kinds of amazing things i won't uh spoil what those are if you want to watch the movie if you want to look into this further but it's interesting in that way but it's also it's hard to explain it's all this film's also a little stolid um and and her obsession again is gets tough to relate to uh even the characters in her life kind of have a hard time relating to it and so her victory while well earned does feel slightly hollow even when it comes about um but the 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 other thing that Stephen does and he has always done this in his writing is he embraces the nuance of the of the true story and this film more than any of the rest of these really gets to that what actually happens to her how victorious is her victory actually mm-hmm. um you know does it's you know it, her what it, her what is her victory lap it's not much of anything it's a guy from the university that she convinced to do all this who ends up getting credit for it all uh has a change of heart and starts inviting her to the forums that he's going on to interview so that she can be included in it, which is why we know about her at all. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. but again, that's nuanced in a, in a less nuanced <laughs> film. Mark Addy is the actor who plays this professor would be just a guy stealing credit from her and it'd be all bad. Blah, blah, blah. This guy's on her side, except when he isn't, he's, he's a, political mm-hmm. creature of high education in England and so he's he's complex he's got very little screen time and Addie plays him as this complex guy who really feels terrible when they sort of snatch credit from her and does atone for it by making sure that she's included in the conversation going forward when, once he has the credit he has the power and he's able to do that and does that's neat but it's hardly Hooray! You know, it's like it yeah. doesn't have that. It doesn't really have that aspect to it. And the debate mm-hmm. surrounding history and the character is interesting. And there's there's another conceit in the film that I struggle with that I'm not gonna ruin because it's it's a bit of a twist. But Yeah, I mean looking at the trailer, I have a feeling I know what that is. <laughs> um but uh but yeah, uh it looks it looks uh very fascinating and of course and Coogan's uh, great because he's just the kind oh, yeah, of, yeah. he is just the kind of guy to come along and not be the least helpful. We've seen all these supportive stand by your man women in all these films. And this guy, although they're they're not even together, they're divorced, but they live together sometimes. Like it's all it's all true to the yeah. real life story. It's complicated in a way that we don't normally get we just the films just skip all those complications and those weird quirky realities and this film embraces all of them and and uh phantom of the open is probably the best like linear feel-good story but this film has 
it, it it's better than the credit it's getting out there because it embraces the strange yeah. true realities of their lives and stuff i really do appreciate that it did that but it it has it has one sort of almost deal breaker for me and and <laughs> and and that so that's tough too so kind of none of them win and yet all of them do they're all worth your time they're all kind of the same right they're all slightly different there's going to be a hundred more of them in the next two years. It's kind of like, <laughs> you know, buckle up. There's yep. it, uh, the UK lacks for no amount of quirky, weird, little true stories that it can tell. And it, it loves its folk heroes, at least for a few months until it forgets about them. Or, and then right. years go by and someone makes a movie about it. So it's just, it's a never ending cycle. And as far as cycles go, it, there, it could be worse. Uh, all right. Well, that is going to do it for our British based on the incredible true story films. And now we are going to turn to a man who has a certain set of skills of his own uh, for uh, what I think this is the fourth consecutive year. We give this man his own category uh, this year, it is Liam Neeson's diminishing set of skills. Well, I come uh, on here every year, right? And I'm like, hey, Liam Neeson's at it again. He made another mm-hmm. movie just like all the other movies that he's been making. This category is uh, no, no exception, but um, I've been, you know, even his his Ice Road Truckers movie, I can't remember what that's called, but even the, some of the really dumb ones, I'm kind of like, ah. It was fun, so, you know. Ninety-eight minutes of action, and and more importantly, Liam himself is always an asset to every single one of those movies. Put put yes. a different actor in that role in that same film, and is it as good? The answer is almost always no. So, as long as that's the case, and as long as this is what he's being offered, and as long as it's a cottage industry going forward, then. What is there really? We can rip on it to some degree, but what is there really to complain about? As far as straight to video uh, action thrillers with an older guy in the lead, they're as they're as good as we've ever had. They're better than late period Bronson. They're better than late period any of these old guys because mm-hmm. he's sort of a thinking. He's still sort of a thinking man's action star. Of course, we know Liam to be so much more than that, so it is frustrating to see him only do that at this point. But, hey, whatever, right? Until... Right. I don't... These two... Yeah, this one, uh, this first one, this first one is Blacklight. Uh, Blacklight is uh, with the tagline, they're gonna need more men. Uh <laughs> Travis Block is a government operative coming to terms with his shadowy past. When he discovers a plot targeting U.S. citizens, Block finds himself in the crosshairs of the FBI director he once helped protect. Uh, and that's probably Aiden Quinn playing the FBI director. It is. And, and isn't um, Jeffrey Donovan in this, too, and a couple other pretty decent actors? Or am I thinking of something uh, Let's see. Um, I do not see Jeffrey Donovan. Maybe he's in the next one, and I'm getting these mixed up. Maybe in the next up. one. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> anyway. It, Anywho. Who, uh, it, yeah, this one This one is uh, the first one here. Um, Blacklight is his... Uh, 
uh, lowest uh, meta score. Uh, act, yeah, uh, that he has going, films. and and right, mm-hmm. rightly so. This isn't a very good movie. The guy who directed it, made, they made another movie together that also wasn't very good, but was much better than this. You can find out what that is if you want to click on it. It should come up right away. I believe this guy's most honest thief. Honest, honest thief. thief. Also stupid, but much, much better than this because there's because just from a writing standpoint, it's so much better. Um, They're both slickly acted action movies. You know, Um, Aiden Quinn's sort of a nice counterpoint to Neeson they they have similar type gravitas in their scenes together which helps but that there's not there's just not much else I can say about it that's good it yeah. really is super bland it really does feel like it's working through the exact formula of honest thief uh without the without the um without that sort of redemptive story of the 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 you know the thief trying trying mm-hmm. to put all this behind him because he's found love. That that helps that one a little bit. This one has some similar things going on. You know, the, an agent who wants to do the right thing, but that that secret agent stuff, man. Who cares about that? You know, it, mm-hmm. it it's surprisingly difficult to make movies about that. You know, when you, when your daughter's been kidnapped by Armenian terrorists, okay secret agent or not we're gonna we to be fair to the taken franchise it we're gonna care a little bit about that and this just doesn't have a peg of which to stick with in fact i was just getting it totally confused with honest thief which right they're, they're so similar by the numbers, even though the, the even though the characters are totally different and everything, that I I really was let down by it. It's not good, and even even you Liam Neeson action fans, I suppose you might as well watch them all. He only makes a couple three a year. It, it it's the worst one. I'm with Meta mm-hmm. Score, whatever. I'm with the, I I agree with the um, Tomatoes on that one. Yep. Um, his next film, his mind is fading. His conscience is clear. Liam Neeson in memory. Um, yeah, yeah, with Guy Pierce, Monica Bellucci. Well, that's what's weird about memory is it's it's Guy Pierce's movie. You know what I mean? It's hard to explain. It's like a fugitive like story. Um, and in this case, and that's the good thing about memory is that it's it's the it's the cop story and the, and Liam is actually, even though he's featured on all the whatever, and is an important part mm-hmm. of it. His, I would guess if I had to bet his screen time is less than Pierce's and his teams. So he's really the bad guy who got something going on. May not be as bad as we think dude that they're chasing. Mm. You know, he's, he's in some other movie he's taking out some complicated revenge plot against a bunch of bad guys and our cops are chasing him and as what they learn of course is that you know that that uh maybe he's not so bad even though he's clearly a, a murderous and angry fellow um directed by martin campbell martin campbell knows how to make yep. a movie i can tell you right now and he hadn't made one for a while, so that was a draw to it. Mostly, I just watched these Neeson films anyway, so whatever. It didn't take Campbell or any of these people to get me into it, but 
uh, this one just goes south. And again, it goes south in the writing. The film, when it needs to kick into some gear where it has some kind of heart, doesn't. It just stays dark and crappy and ugly. Uh, they, there's one of my least favorite other Liam Neeson movies is where he and Ed Harris play these mobsters. And I don't even remember which one. I think Ed Harris's kid gets <laughs> killed. And they have this scene t- together where if you... It's the scene. It's, it's the scene is written almost with like like a Mad Libs word replacement way as the <laughs> Al Pacino Robert De Niro scene in Heat, yeah. and and it's terrible. It's so hard watching Liam and Ed try and make this just utter crap work, and and theft, you know, which all adds this all, all other layer of ickiness to it. I can't remember what that movie's called. It's awful. This movie reminded me of that. It it, it when it needed to have a soul, it, it didn't really end up having one. And 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 it doesn't. They don't all need them. But if you're gonna make a soulless dark action picture, you just have to make it better. And and in Campbell's game, he directs. He's, you know, kind of doing his Michael Bay, basically, impression in this. But he does it well, because he, know, he knows what he's doing. Um, it's the story that doesn't end up being worth a hill of beans, which is too bad. Because Guy Pierce and Liam, as always, they're pros, you know, they're giving it their all. And I liked seeing... Guy Pierce has also been in everything, but he... Of late, he just shows up and plays these weird, wacky supporting characters and stuff, and it was right. It was very fun watching him sort of speak to people and be a leader and an investigator. And um, but it, in the end, it wasn't enough to carry the day. Um, I uh, I'm not finding the um, that that Ed Harris uh, movie with him right. It's not jumping out at me, and I'm not remembering if it. You do However, anything, I will say, if you do anything to kill my son, I'm going to kill you. Well, you come after my boy, then you better watch out. I'm going to kill you. It's just so stupid. And there it was, and and the and the, of course the suits were like that's the best scene ever. So it's the scene in all the trailers <laughs> and stuff. Right. And it's just like, uh, <laughs> oh no. Um. So uh, it's this one is oh it's run all night is yeah what it's run called. all night run all night. night with uh Liam Neeson and Harry, uh but I mean so we do have uh Liam has uh uh Marlowe coming out uh where he plays Philip Marlowe coming out this year so it's not a you know who's, we have a little bit of who's a, making a, that Neil Jordan hmm. And it's Liam Neeson, Diane Kruger, Jessica Lang. Um, yeah, it's got. I don't um, like Neil Jordan, but Neil Jordan's a whole different kind of filmmaker than they've yep, been making yep, that's these little I, action things. Yeah, this is so. This is not that. This is not Philip Marlowe goes on the you know <clears throat> on the rampage to yep. get back at the people who wronged him or whatever. Yeah, uh, Philip yeah. does that, but he he he. He gets into an argument with his cat as well, so he's a totally more nuanced kind of character than you yep. would expect. So that's I <clears throat> good. He needs a change, man. He really does. And that's respect to Campbell, who I didn't think he directed the movie poorly. It just the guy before in that other thing, he doesn't. He doesn't. Know, my, uh, he needs to go back yeah. to class. He doesn't know what he's doing. But here's here's my pitch for uh, here's my pitch for the tagline for Marlowe. Set the bar high for Marlowe. Yeah, I think that I think that's the winner. I think Ooh. that's the winner. 
That's Barbara way, Rush. That's, that's, way, that's way too funny no. for my taste. <laughs> <laughs> um uh so liam we hope that marlo is uh you, you know hopefully you're not just doing marlo to fund your other or maybe you're doing these action flicks to uh i think you get the impression uh, he'd do whatever best thing came across his desk when yep, he appears he's in got good things he, it, it you know i i just think he he doesn't say no because if he's got that opening in his schedule, he just keeps going. Yep. Uh, on the other hand, the, the what's great about the Liam Neeson action films is that they he really does pick the he's really good at picking the best ones available. Sometimes they're still junk, but mm-hmm. he you know uh, Walk Among the Tombstones, The Gray, The Gray is an extraordinary film. Like there's some mixed in there that the poster would have you believe is the same old crap and they're entirely yeah. better than that. So, but to know you got two choices, watch them all. That's what I do. Listen to the movie show with Joel and Ryan. That's the other way there it is. you can, there you it can is. figure out which ones you got to catch. All right, Liam, we love you. We wish you well. We hope that uh, you continue to exercise whatever uh, sadness and demons that you have uh, with whatever films come your way. Uh, All right, let's move to action for action's sake. Um, Speaking of The Grey, our first movie up in this category is uh, directed by Joe Carnahan. And it is, uh, it is, it's, it's that Frank Grillo, Mel Gibson uh, team up that we've all been waiting for. <laughs> Woo! Uh, and it is called Boss Level. Um, let me read the, let me read the description on this one. Well, I'll, uh, here I'll do. But I, I got a description. Okay. It, go go. Boss Level is uh, Groundhog's Day with the automatic weapons. There you go. Um, and. It's shocking how great it is. Because <laughs> I just, when I turned this one on, I mean, I first of all, I avoided it for two years. This was a COVID movie. And then when yeah. I popped it in, I was like, it was Joe Carnahan. I was like, oh, I, you know, I've been avoiding this for a while. I like Frank Grillo a lot. He's a really good actor, but he's in so much garbage movies yeah, yeah. that that he's not some sort of safe bet as a leading man at all. <laughs> right. And so, you know, I, I didn't know, but I, then I saw that what Joel just said, I saw Carnahan's name and I'm like, well, you know, I don't love all his movies either. I don't like the, the, I don't like a bunch of them, but I, 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 as the years go on, I really like the A team movie. Um, again, yeah. surprisingly, like I really think that was the right, maybe not perfect, but the totally the right idea. And, I really like the gray and there's another one that he made that is, is really outstanding. It's not coming to my mind right now, but either way, Wait a second here. Uh, let's see. We have, um, yeah, point blank. Uh, let's see. Oh, these are produced. Thank you. Um, I love you. IMDB with throwing your dumb crap order yeah. in here. They, um, they put whatever he has the most of up top. It's, you know, uh, I get it. state of affairs stretch uh those who kill the gray a team faceless smoking aces yeah i didn't like smoking aces what narc ticker oh narc Um, is really really good well i guess it's the gray and and uh a team that made me most happy either way carnahan is a filmmaker he's not somebody you just dismiss he's not just some guy 
who's out there, you know, hoping to get the next thing. He's got a real say in the storytelling of the thing. I don't know if this movie's based on a video game. It feels very video gamey. Obviously, it's called Boss Level, so it, it the video game references come fast and furious. Um, or if it's based on a comic, or if it's just a comic video gamey sort of deal. The guy's life keeps getting reset. Every scene is loaded with voiceovers where he's explaining everything that's happening to us. Um, but the movie has, in the strangest places where you least expect it, the movie has something that those other Neeson films don't have, which has got a ton of heart. This guy is on, in the same way the Groundhog's Day has it, you know. Um, you know, Quentin Tarantino says, well, Groundhog's Day is awesome until it's stupid because it's because it, this is a guy who doesn't need to be redeemed. He's not some evil person. He's just a guy that's interesting until he isn't. <laughs> so that's Quentin's take on it. He's not mm. totally off the mark. I think he has a point. That's uh, has a That film had a potential to be a much darker thing if it had any balls, which it has none. This is dark in that it's violence, but it's all video game. Like, it's hyper-violent, but it's all just silly video game violence. You don't care about any of these random assassins going down. And yet, even they reveal their personalities to you in weird ways. Carnahan just makes sure no stone goes left unturned in that way. It's a much, much better storyteller than normally does this kind of thing. Grillo's is good. Uh, you know, my favorite role of his, obviously, is that mentor character in The Fighter. He's so great in that role. And that's because he so is that guy in life. And because that movie is good. That's what I remember him for. He's 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 decent enough as guy you recognize in the Captain America franchise, but don't really know mm -hmm. much about or think much about. Uh, he's, I mean, good enough, but wasted sort of in that kind of role as a leading man though it's tough to know whether you're going to watch a steaming pile of crap or a pretty decent film because he's capable of both this one's just really fun really exciting the action is off the hook good the concept is high concept and the film milks every last drop out of that concept as it can uh the character's family life as uh dick clark would say keeps him grounded and keeps the movie grounded and things that we give a crap about the kid is a good actor um the wife is not just a wife waiting for his adventure to be over so they can live happily ever after she's a scientist that is that we find out spoiler alert for boss levels actually making all of this happen in order to save the world like it's just a lot happening in this story and and I I mm -hmm. I just was shocked by how good it was, how much I enjoyed myself watching it. Because I don't I don't like super bloody battles and, stuff, and all that stuff. And and even Mel Mel's really great. He get he gets it. He shows up because um, he's because he's not just a growly grouchy villain. Like he's a bit he's got a bit of positive megalomaniac to him, and that is more interesting. And his his uh the decisions he makes when when uh, during our big climax are unexpected and interesting so that character is cool and it's worthy of having an actor like that it, Carnahan makes sure that it's worthy of having an actor with his pedigree in that part rather than just a actor that's not in favor with court anymore doing the only work he's being given it's 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 better than that performance kind of performance which we see from Mel a lot these days um, despite, um good you know, so that's, uh, good friend gordon 
Good friend yeah. Gordon says, uh, enjoyable. It's quite an interesting film. Looks like a video game that has both action and emotional elements. I enjoyed it. Gordon, me and you, buddy. Just like this Gordon. simpatico. I love it. Boom. Yeah. Uh, he, all right. He Next. nailed it, as always, in way less words than I did. <laughs> yep. My God, I love him so much. Yeah, yeah. He nailed it. Um, uh next up is uh, uh it's sylvester stallone um and uh it, it is a movie called samaritan yeah this maybe should have gone in the superhero category but i felt like yeah. if we, i felt like if we put it there then it would just be just the super worst superhero movie whereas as an action movie it's right fair to midland as my <laughs> grandpa used to say um <laughs> in this category yeah, that's pretty good uh it, it what's good about it is that well let's this one you can read the premise for and then we'll just say what's good about it and what's bad and move sure on. sure uh a young boy learns that a superhero who was thought to have died after an epic battle 25 years ago may in fact still be alive so plucky young kid on the wrong side of the law uh makes friends with a superhero who doesn't want to have any friends or be recognized or known that he's still around and it's a great i mean it's really smart script and it's a great role for stallone it's a really great role for him i mean i i the plucky little criminal kid I mean, I don't know what else you could have, a talking dog, a monkey. I mean, you know what I mean? Like putting him in a scene with something that steals the show and just have him mm -hmm. through the whole thing. It's, 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 you'd think we'd be sick of it by now, but when you do it right, it really is sort of a delightful formula. Hey, kid. Yeah, I don't want to do that. I had my time. Because Stallone's uh, always been three times as smart as his on-screen personas are, and he he really does understand the heart of these things. Um, that's that's been his downfall sometimes because he gets involved and ruins the vision of what would have been collaborators had he not had such a huge ego, but it also, it benefits him greatly. It's he became a star by writing his own story for himself. And I mean, in this case, he really does. He really does understand the formula. There's a lot of surprises in this. It's for what feels like a family movie filled with lots of comedy and action. It's the criminal element is pretty dark and icky and it's got a pretty high body count. So it falls in that it's either or it's neither category as far as that goes. Um, your family maybe is more used to the violence in these things than mine was when I was a kid, low those many years ago. But it, mm -hmm. it does it, it. It's a film you you can watch at most ages, going all the way down to the kid. If you're gonna stick a kid in a movie that age. Typically, that's the age in which it's okay to watch it. Don't take my word for that on everything, but that is, you know, that's the that's the idea. This one does come with a bit of a warning label, but it's fun. It's it it's got some surprises in it, and it has a lot of heart, and it has to have that. If it didn't have that, it'd be nothing. It'd be worthless. It's it it has it, and it's great. It embodied by both characters and and uh, the kid kid's mom as well. She's quite good. Um. All right. Next up is uh a movie is, you know you know the power of michael bay uh when this movie when the font color 
uh, is different on IMDb because of your movie. Nor it's right, you know, it's normally just old white, you know, white text on black screen. But this has got a, like a lime green to kind of go with the lime green of the ambulance. Um, Michael Bay, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, Jamie, no, uh, yeah, yeah, Abdul Mateen the second. Um, let's see. Uh, Isa Gonzalez. Well, yeah, it's all sorts of uh, fun stuff in here. Well, I didn't show up for Michael Bay. I showed up for Jake Gyllenhaal, and it didn't. And all I got was I. Here, here's the mic review. Gordon won't even come up with this. I don't think. Um, I came for Jake Gyllenhaal, and all I got was Michael Bay. That's my review of the ambulance. Um, it's just, I, I, this movie got all kinds of praise as some great action movie. This movie's so stupid. It doesn't feel stupid. Like he knows how to make it feel cool. I mean, that's Michael's power that he, he's, that's still working and he still has that in his toolkit. But yep. if you, if you break down what this is and what happens in it and why and when, and if you, if you're. If if you find it, you should find it impossible to have your sympathies or your interests lie with anybody in this story, and and that it doesn't overcome that. You know, it's he's Bay can't make a movie that's, I don't know his his Benghazi movie's not that bad. I just please don't quote me on that or tell me <laughs> people I said that, that, but it, that would be pretty amazing on a poster. Eh, not bad. Yeah, even that, like I, it's like a. It's still Michael Bay did a movie about yeah. Benghazi when it was still in the news. What an asshole! So it's uh, so it's master of crap. But it, but it's as, see, as yeah. like a military procedural. It's it actually pretty damn good and involving <laughs> film. So uh, and it 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 doesn't get into the political day, but it sidesteps it completely, which is in it in its favor in the end because this film it's weird. This film's not based on anything real. It's not about soldiers for hire or people saving people's lives. It's just about a heist gone wrong. And it weirdly does get sort of political about it in the same way, you know, like the end of Minority Report sucks. This film's like all over the place in terms of what the meaning of it all is and none of it sticks. And it, I just hated it. I mean, I, that good action is not good enough. It's not good enough at all. And... And, you know, criminals that are, you know, anti-heroes or whatever, I mean, that's not bad, but you, 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 you can't just rubber stamp that. You have to do the yeah. work of earning that. And this, it just doesn't even try. And I, I don't understand. I mean, just because I, I just don't understand. I don't understand the love affair with this action fans. It's glossy. It's super high budget. It does have the, all the best actors in all the right places, and that even that just makes it all the more bad that it just falls flat on its face, in my opinion. I I I didn't hate it, but I but I almost hated it, and that's yeah. I, so I guess I'm out of touch. Because would you dug, agree that ambulance? Would you agree that you don't know which is shakier, the camera or the script? That's one. That's one reviewer put it. Um, uh, I, I mean, yeah, like. I don't mind the camera work at all. I mean, I think that's that guy's being a dipshit. <laughs> Michael knows where to point the camera. He knows how to light stuff. 
I mean, he knows that stuff, so that that part is good. The the script is terrible, though, and and it just keeps creating one impenetrable, annoying thing after another, and the way it resolves the the thing's problems just gets darker and ickier and uglier, and uh, and yet the again the film doesn't have the cojones to be about that, and that's really the shame. Joe Carnahan had wrote this. If you'd have told him, here's 80 million bucks to make a big action movie, make it as dark as you want, he would have made it black as death. And Bay just, Bay just walks the line, man. Slick Hollywood garbage. That's all he knows how to do. It's all he's ever known how to do. And he's never done anything else ever, and he never will. He never will. And it's why are we keep thinking, mm -hmm. oh, it's going to be different this time. It's just stupid. Yep. But it's also, you see the poster and you see Jake's face on it. You know he's pretty good and it's going to bring some yep. to it. You read a few positive reviews and, and you think, I'll give this one a try. And I mean, it's like I do that with all his films. And they're, they're, not, good. they're not good. They're bad, man. Those Transformers movies are terrible. They're effing terrible, people. They're terrible. You, you, yep. you. You diminish yourself so greatly when you defend them on any level. They are objectively awful. Right. And I don't just I don't know why I thought this would be different. Like the best I could do was, well, the Benghazi movies, okay. Mm. That's all right. Yep. It's, yeah, it's not, it's not I mean, what other you wanna um, you wanna say the rock is good? Go watch mm -hmm. the rock again. Watch it when you're not playing a drinking game. It's it's horrible. <laughs> it's horrible. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely awful. Uh, mm -hmm. Armageddon is terrible. The Bad Boys Boys movies are they're awful. They're garbage. Um, the Island is really bad. Like, and that's as good a movie as he's made, and it's not good. Mm -hmm. It went right when it right when the door opens into badness. Michael barrels right through it. He can't help himself. He's he's uh, he's awful. He's just really really bad. And it, we've propped him up. We've bought all the popcorn and all of his stuff. We've kept going to these. We kept. We all went. I didn't. Okay, I didn't. Mm -hmm. But I would have. I could have easily been guilty of this sin. When I say it, I will include myself in this. In this thing, because I did see it ultimately. We've all went to Transformers 2. How could we have done that? How could we have done that? Transformers 2 should have been seen by nobody. Everyone who saw Transformers should have said, No, sir. Terrible. Mm -hmm. You burn in hell, and we all should have yep, stayed away, shame. and yet everybody came. Shame. Every yep. Everybody showed up. So we did it. It's our fault. Michael Bay is our fault. And I we it's a, a sin that we just keep punishing ourselves for. And yeah. I, I certainly <clears throat> dove right in with ambulance. Blech. Um next up is a movie that uh when I saw the poster, when I saw the trailer, I vowed I would never see this movie, and I still vow that I never will see this movie. Uh it is called Fall. Uh, oh. Best friends <laughs> Becky and Hunter no, find Paul, themselves. Paul has been moved to survival, so we don't have to talk about that one right now. Pat. Oh, we don't. I don't. Nope. Oh, I didn't catch we will, that. It's it's a. I don't know why I put it in action. It's got some action in it, but it's a, it is it, 
by the book survival film. So okay, and we yeah, have yeah, a survival yeah. category, so it we goes do. to the bottom of survival. Boom. Cut, paste. All right, thank God. Well, you know what? Between but now and the next show. That still was a great little preview for our future yeah, the next survival show, discussion. I still, I still will <laughs> never see it. Uh, I'm not going to suddenly rush out and go see it so I can talk about it on the next show or, yeah. or when we get to the survival uh, stuff. It is not going to happen ever, ever. I hope that these <laughs> ladies who star in it, I hope that they have wonderful careers. I, you know. I'm sure everybody involved in the making of that film, they're all probably very nice people and they have uh, good families. But um, no, I will never see a movie that takes place at the top of a 2000 foot tower. Um, all right. Let's talk about the unbearable weight of massive talent. Ooh, good. Uh, and we and, needed a little yeah. extra room to talk about this one because there's a lot to unpack with this movie. Go ahead, Joel. Yeah, this this is uh, the I boy, I this is. I, I wanted to try to get to that this movie before today. Um, the time got away from me. Uh, this is a movie that I was very excited to to see. I still am kind of excited to see it. Um, Nicholas Cage, Pedro Pascal, Tiffany Haddish, uh, lots of lots of people, uh, but mostly Nicholas Cage, Pedro Pascal. Nicholas Cage as himself is the draw of this. Nicholas Cage. Read read the yep. synopsis. In this action packed comedy. Nicholas Cage plays Nick Cage, channeling his iconic characters as he's caught between a super fan, Pedro Pascal, and a CIA agent, Tiffany Haddish. I hate movies like this. I just hate them. I hate, I hate you as yourself. I hated the, they were all talking about the Jonathan, or not Jonathan, uh, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme did one and there's there's been a whole bunch of them where it's and I, I just hate celebrities winking at themselves on the camera. I hate it. There's nothing I hate more. I really, really don't like it. Uh, I think the worst plot twist in the history of movies, in the history of films dating back to the original invention of the moving picture camera was uh, Julia Roberts' um, as a Julia Roberts lookalike at the end of Ocean Twelve is the is simply the stupidest thing ever. It made me want to go out, find everybody responsible, and just bury them forever. It, it resulted uh, in actual rage and anger for me, and that's it's fun to feel things when you're mm -hmm. watching movies, but Ocean Twelve wasn't going for that kind of thing at no, all. That was not. I and don't yet, think that that was the desired response. Yeah, and yet that's that is what it achieved. That's how, that is how against <laughs> this conceptually I was before I watched it. Um, so, how did it turn out? It's it's glorious. This is a really really well smartly made exception that proves the rule to that because it's it's. It's hard to explain what's great about it. it. It's it's everything that happens between the lines. You know, it's all the stuff I don't like mm -hmm. to talk about. And so it's a, a concept that I can't stand full of things that when they work are stuff that I don't think should be the way we measure movies. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, it's just, it, this film was like an absolute slap in the face to me, but it, I giggled throughout. There's this, fantastic scene where they're running away from what they think is the cops. They're really running from nobody. They just saw somebody they thought might be coming after them. And now they're running away and they get to a wall, right? And the wall's like 
just a little, maybe a couple inches taller oh, yeah, than, yeah. than a person. Yeah, I've seen this. Yeah, I've seen this scene. And 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 the cage is out of shape. He can't get over it. And so Pascal sacrifices himself by being a human stool. That's what he says. <laughs> and he gets down on all fours. And then Cage can just barely get over the wall at that point. And he turns around. And this is, it takes so long. And like if someone were really chasing them, they'd be on, absolutely on top of them by now. They'd be... Right caught in the back of the car and halfway to where they were going by the time these guys work out how to get over this wall. And then of course the end of it is, is Pascal trying to catch his hand and them trying to hold on. And, um, and they can't, he doesn't have the strength to pull him over the wall. So, uh, Pedro's character has to sacrifice himself nobly, but of course nobody ever comes. And you see Nick Cage, you know, is an intense emotional reaction on the other side of the wall. And eventually, in camera shot, Pedro sort of pokes his head around the corner of the wall because there's <laughs> this opening not four feet from where all this drama was happening. Yep. And questions whether whether they really saw them or not. You know, they, they would never question whether they were really bad guys watching them. There turns out they're just tourists. And not even particularly threatening ones. The the joy yep. in that sequence, if you've ever watched a stupid action movie, is it's just incredible. And the chemistry between these two guys in this story, this this actor trying to get back into better material mixed with this uh, dr- basically drug lord from a high cartel family who's just a big super fan who wants to use some of his money for good. And and how they connect and how they examine their, their lives between the two of them. It's, it's, it's just... If that sequence, I mean, maybe I ruined it for you, but that sequence, it's one no, of the. No, I'm. It, I, it's, it's been a so, long. Like I, I had seen that sequence. Uh, long, and, and long time, me... Joel, since I laughed so hard that I physically hurt, and that just every second of that, every escalation, it's so funny. It, well, good. That makes me very happy because I am excited to see that. It's not perfect. It doesn't really totally love, stick the love, landing, and you know. Yeah, like, I don't love uh, self-referential and meta wink at you know wink at yourself. Movie. I don't like, I, and I don't like the people who but like. There's it. something about there's something about Nicolas Cage doing it though that like Nicolas Cage playing this sort of version. <laughs> I'm sorry, the, the scene just came up here on IMDb. <laughs> just a little of Nick Cage on top of the wall, banging the wall because he's, uh, he's so so emotionally distraught. Um, and um, but the uh, uh, yeah, there's something about you know because Nicolas Cage has become this. He's and you know he's this weird iconic dude uh, over the last ten years or so. This kind of guy who's still been pumping out movies but has been kind of a recluse and yeah just and so yeah and, and him, even that we're we're so anxious to stamp people as something i mean nick was a a punchline to a joke for almost a decade yeah and nobody cared to look and see that he actually did four or five really really good films films that are much 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 better than con air for example and right. yet we just kind of eh, nick cage does dumb stuff he's the guy who does everything he's the guy who does dumb stuff and it's just we're so stupid and we right we you know well also yeah because we can't possibly we can't possibly consider the idea that a movie called pig would actually be good 
Yeah, we but totally it was. Judge that. And, and everyone yeah, we found ju- that judge that book by its cover. Yeah. Yeah, but Nick is back on top of the world, and he—if he wasn't—he couldn't do a movie like this. This movie mm-hmm. wouldn't have come out when he was doing garbage. So it—it it, honestly, it's part of the false narrative that we've always wanted to stick on him. Now we think he's funny because he's laughing at himself, and that's what modern generations really want to see. And that doesn't tell the whole story either. And the film, to its credit, is way more nuanced than that. But but it doesn't need to be nuanced to work because it's it's so joyful and fun. There's there if you're just if you're a movie fan, the the you know Nicolas Cage is a movie fan in life. He really mm-hmm. wanted to be a part of the movies because he really loves movies and that's a strain on his relationship with his kid and everything. And and it's, it's, but it's the thing that draws these two completely different people together. Not to mention the hero worship. Pedro is, is brilliant in it. Never, I mean, he's so brilliant in it because he's, I, he's so goofy and weird. Mm-hmm. And yet he, you never, you don't as irreverent and as high concept as the thing is, he's, he's never, you never catch him winking at the camera ever. And that's, it takes discipline and it takes understanding why this sort of comedy works. It works because of hundred percent commitment to it. And if you, if you don't have that, if Nicholas Cage isn't beating the wall as hard as he did in some movie that we watched that actually made money, it doesn't work. It only works because they're as stupid as it is. And it's so super stupid. It it only works because they really are doing it the way they would do it in another movie. That yeah. that's to, so to be admired. It's the only way to do high concept weird crap like this. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so um, it was great. Uh, v- Past the time, very very in a very very fun way for me. Right. All right. These next two movies. Uh, well, one of them I know is based on a video game. The other one, uh, they 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 both are trying to. Uh, uh, they feel like they're trying to capture that uh, that romancing the stone vibe that we oh, at least this first this first film especially trying to capture that romancing the stone vibe that we yeah. have uh, been missing for 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 so long. Uh, so let's just um, hit that one up first. Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum, Daniel Radcliffe in The Lost City. Uh, yeah, big romantic adventure story, but b- before it's romantic or an adventure, which it is both, it's a it's a straight up lampoonish sort of comedy, and that is the the I, I had fun with it because it had a lot of laughs in it, but as an adventure story, it's actually pretty lame. Um, as a romance, as a romantic comedy, your mileage is going to vary. But I thought that more or less worked. Actually, I think you you do sort of want to see these two dipshits get together, and that and, <laughs> and when you do, it feels pretty good. So yay! I mean, that's in a way that's not hard to pull off. But but as a comedy, what is it as a comedy? It's a little too all over the map to be considered any sort of classic. But I do like a nice adventure. I do. It is fun watching Daniel Radcliffe play a always ready with a smile and a positive word type murderous villain. That character is difficult to play. He played it pretty well in the Now You See Me sequel, but it it's, works much better here because because here they're. Here, there's a lot of life and death stuff going on that isn't in that movie, and it makes makes him sort of uh, makes his sort of weird, lawful, evil character really sort of terrible. Um, 
you know, Sandra's got a lot of charm. She's still got it. And, um, yep. and our buddy, uh, Channing Tatum's very, very funny. I mean, again, very, because there's nothing heroic about him that this guy, and yet he does keep trying, you know, he's, he's Fabio basically. And, and when he has to become an actual romantic adventure hero, he just is at, totally incapable of doing it. Um, it's fun, but I, so it's fun. So I basically, I'm saying I'm yep. a stuck up movie nerd and I had fun with it. <laughs> if you were looking at it and, you know, side eyeing it a little bit and being like, oh, I really want to watch yeah. this. Yeah, I think you do. It's pretty good. It's if, if, especially if you, it's, it's not romancing the stone by any stretch, but it, that, even if that is what it's going for, it's just in the age of Twitter and in this fast moving hyper paced sort of thing, it, you will never have another romancing the stone again, I suspect. Or if you do, it will go by without you noticing it would be my guess. Uh, but it's still, it's still, it still was really fun and, and neat. And I would say the same thing about the next movie. You're going to say different yeah. kind of different Uncharted. kind of movie. Yeah, let's but... yeah, let's let's talk about that. Like how so we got uh, we got Uncharted here with um, with Tom Holland, Mark Wahlberg, and Antonio Banderas. Um, yeah, this film um, film. This is really a, if anything on this list is a movie. It's this. It's film. not so much of a film. Uh, based on a video game, but this movie, this movie gets some things really, really right. One, the action's really, really good. The, 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 the peg for this film is the National Treasure movie. So if you really, really like right. those, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. and wish they had made more of those, you know, solving puzzles, chasing the next clue to the next thing, they're chasing after buried treasure. Um, Mark Wahlberg is not Nicolas Cage, unfortunately. This film could have used a little Nick Cage in it. Um, but he's not, this is one of the roles, whereas whatever, Mark Wahlberg's good enough. He doesn't ruin it or anything. Um, and Tom Holland is delightful. I mean, it's slumming in this compared to some things he's been doing recently, but, Mm -hmm. but he still is having a lot of fun and that's infectious. His, all his little one-liners or whatever. (laughs) I watched, uh, yeah, Tom is super fun. He's well. He's fun, and it, it it just is fun. And it's crazy. It's got it's got crazy big, absurd action by the end of it. What I can't even describe what the end of it is without ruining it. But it, the end, the end, the closing action scene is huge, and it's much more believable CGI action scene than say the closing scene in Wakanda Forever is. And that's a feather in its cap. It, it, you buy it, and it's ridiculous. It's it's sometimes you can only have one. So it's fun in that way, very much for National Treasure fans. Don't go thinking it's National Treasure. All your friends that you love from the National Treasure mm-hmm. franchise are not in this thing. Uh, the characters who are here are much more bland and generic. But it, but it still has that kind of energy. It's got that kind of... Uh, that kind of thing to it, that kind of, and even, and the thing it has that national treasure doesn't have is you never know in this film, you never know even amongst our heroes, who's going to double cross who at the last second. So in that way, it's a little like red notice, but it's a lot like red notice actually. And it's 8 billion times better than red notice. Cause Mark Wahlberg to his credit doesn't F around. He gets into stuff. Mm-hmm. That's the only way he knows how to be in something. Yep. 
and The Rock does, does and Ryan ever, Reynolds, ever, if you yeah. give them an inch, will F around for miles and miles and miles and will yeah. let you spend your $200 million with them just effing around and not doing any worthy storytelling of any kind. And mm-hmm. Mark, Mark's not like that. And Tom's not like that. Tom, Tom's asked to ride the line and be our hero, and he, do, he does it with a plum. Yeah. So I um, really enjoyed Uncharted. I've never played the game. I don't care how the game's all different than the movie. Like, I really don't care about that. Yeah. I was looking for a fun adventure movie, and I was prepared to despise it, and I liked it quite a bit. So huzzah. Well, there you go. Um, all right. Final movie for today's show. Uh, Brad Pitt is back in bullet train five assassins uh, aboard a swiftly moving bullet train find out that their missions have something in common yeah i mean when somebody shoots somebody like in a restaurant or something i mean it makes huge national news if you do it in germany it makes massive national news for weeks so joel i would ask you where are all these assassin guild shootouts happening in the world and the answer is nowhere. So let's start mm-hmm. with the premise that this all the all this shit is bullshit. It's all bullshit. All these types of movies, they're just full of it. It's fantasy, but it's violent gun. Yeah, it's violent, violent fantasy. Yep. fantasy. And this guy made the co-directed the original John Wick film. He made um he's only made this kind of movie I, he made the one with uh what's her face in germany i just mentioned i can't remember what that's called um just a second um let's see we're gonna david leach leach probably leach uh yeah at atomic blonde uh, Hobbs one. and shaw yeah, yeah. did the second deadpool film yep yeah, yeah, yeah. um born ultimatum um, he didn't direct that. Wait. Uh, oh no, he was a stunt double. Sorry, I, I was got. Yeah, he's a stunt double. He was a stunt director. double for Pitt and Damon. Yeah, he was a stunt direct, stunt double turn, turn stunt man. Turn. So that's the director. connection. Brad Pitt um, is doing a movie directed by his stunt double, and and this guy, this director's high. People love him. They love the Atomic Blonde. They love Hobbs and Shaw. They love, love, love John Wick movies. First John Wick movie that he co-directed actually is the good one, if there is a good one in that franchise, because it's it it's believable. It's this you know a lot of shoot 'em ups mm-hmm. for sure, but it's this guy who has a certain set of skills that goes off the rails because of something bad that happens to him and just takes down these mob guys all by himself. That's fun i guess and it's particularly fun when you ground it in some actual human tragedy and emotion uh but ever since it's all just comic book nonsense different assassin groups from different countries battling it out in these big assassin battles it's just it's also just so stupid and i get that james bond is just as dumb and there's some other things that i actually enjoy that are are like what does this have to do with anything it says nothing to do with anything but mm-hmm. this film's unforgivable for not having anything to do with anything because it has nothing to do with anything. It's just it's just your stupid fantasy. It's that one of those where people say, "Oh, I want to turn my brain off." Well, t- go turn your brain off. Hey, just fuck, why don't you just leave it off? Why don't you just leave your brain off? It's easier to go through life that way and yeah. and then you'll never be disappointed by anything that's an obvious hunk of expensive crap mm-hmm. like bullet train. I have people I respect who reviewed this because they thought it was good, but 
there, there, there are times where I really believe you have to not... It's not bad as far as these types of movies go. I mean, Aaron Taylor Johnson's fantastic in it. Brad Pitt plays this sort of, like, the dude version of an assassin. That's interesting. We haven't seen that before. Um, yeah. But, you know, Michael Shannon comes in at the last second. Turns out he's the villain. How, how much screen time do you need to earn being a ba- bad villain? Four minutes? It's stupid. By the time you get to the end, who gives a crap? Nobody. Nobody should. About what? I just, there's nothing here, man. There's nothing mm-hmm. at all to this film. And I'm sort of frustrated and disgusted. Even Ambulance is, 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 it, dare I say, it's, well, by the time you, you're comparing ambulance to bullet train, I mean, where are you? You're nowhere. Yeah, what what has happened with your life when you are when? when my point going, is, I've had I've had reviews. Train, I'll get back to my ambulance. original point, which was better mm-hmm. before I brought goddamn ambulance back into this. Uh, <laughs> it, if you're watching a movie like Bullet Train and you're you think it's pretty good, you you only way you can is if you're coming down to its level to take mm-hmm. it on its own terms. And my belief is that we can't we got to stop doing that to some degree somewhere. And I guess Bullet Train that's where I'm that's round where I'm going to draw the line. It it's despicable the stuff that happens in it. If you think it's funny, why do you think it's funny? Yeah. What is funny about it really? I mean, I I didn't I didn't crack a smile during that film. I really didn't. And that's of course that's its ultimate sin, but am I too self-serious and goofy? I don't think so. I liked Uncharted. <laughs> that's not good necessarily, <laughs> but it it just it it gives you some semblance of a human element to get behind and this doesn't even try it goes out of its way to scrub that from the entire enterprise and it does Mm -hmm. it successfully so it just leaves you with this sort of reality tv fantasy kind of thing where you just kick back judge people for their mistakes uh you don't miss them when they're obliterated even in a film like this where they seem to miss each other you just don't give a crap about anything you're diverted the only way to enjoy it is with your brain in the off position and and it doesn't have to be that way there are plenty of big dumb action extravaganzas that require a little bit of your brain the mission impossible movies are good examples they don't require much of your brain but you can't turn it off and really get anything out of those that's there that's worthwhile right that's 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 the minimum requirements that I have. Bullet Train is just terrible. It's just really, really awful. And I just, I don't want these to keep going. And yet they was really very successful. <laughs> so they're, we're never going to be rid of them. And it makes right. me, it makes me sad because Uncharted, well, which, which, yeah. which didn't lose its studio a bundle was not terribly successful. So you're not going to get a lot more of those. Yeah. And it, it does make me sad. I do feel like, it's a fine line between what's quality and what's crap, but part of it is part of good storytelling is having a story worth telling. Uh, Bullet Train just doesn't pass that test. Neither does Atomic Blonde. Neither does John Wick Two or John Wick Three or John Wick Four or Taken Two or Taken Three or yep. it just any of these. Let's just keep doing this same empty crap mm-hmm. again. Films they it bums me out oh. that that people are so into them. 
Yep. Well, uh, I hate that, or I don't hate it. I mean, I, I, I sorry, dear listener, for ending this uh, show on making Ryan sad. We don't like sad Ryan. I we swore like way too Ryan. much. Like I can't even but, go back and censor all the yep. swearing. My apologies no, this to one, the audience. This one's a little bit of and the know, disembodied voice blue. who Where promised we wouldn't swear. You know, I. I Ash does her. say we will occasionally use adult language, and this is one of those episodes where we are using adult language, and that's okay. That's okay to somebody voice. <laughs> we don't do it all the time, but that's going to do it for this week's uh, 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 our look back at the year in review, twenty twenty two, and a few from twenty twenty one and some from twenty twenty. All right. Excellent. Uh, you can reach out to us, of course, on all the socials um, and uh, the movie show with Joel and Ryan book uh, Facebook page. And if you are watching us on YouTube, welcome to the video feed of that. We'll give us a like, give us a subscribe. Tell Thanks. your friends. Um, I'm particularly well, proud of my facial expressions in this episode. Mm-hmm. Let's give a good facial expression right now for the uh, for the tile. Three, two, one. Right. There's our tile. Um, all right, everybody. Uh, we will see you next week with more of the of 2022 and 2021 and 2020. Uh, but we have. Uh, yeah. And we you know, we still have some huge movies to talk about. And um, I'm guessing I'm guessing we'll have strong feelings about them. Um, but that is going to do it for us for this week. Take care, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan. Remember, all views and opinions represented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the speaker and do not represent those people, institutions, or organizations that the speaker may or may not be associated with, unless explicitly stated. None of these views and opinions were intended to malign or deceive. And now, here's the producers, circa 1982, to play us out. <laughs>